in a world that is visible and invisible. And often we live, we find ourselves living um, in almost a slavery to the visible world and we often forget the invisible. So God, would you, um, would you speak to us? Would you show us things? Would you say things to us? Would you open the eyes of our heart? Would you open the ears of our heart? Because we don't want to just people who do life well. We want, to we want to do people who understand what it means to do life while following you. So as we look into your word this morning, would you teach us? And would you let us hear you? And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. I haven't seen the weird meter lately, but I thought I'd put it up there. Um, uh, I used to be able to have the needle kind of go up and down, but we're using a different program now, and I can't, haven't figured that out yet. I'm not that technical, so if somebody has those kind of technical skills, that'd be great. But uh, The weird meter is what, what sets off inside of us when something is outside of our comfort zone, and in this case, spiritually speaking. When somebody experiences God, they hear from God, they see something, and if it's not something you or I have experienced, or it doesn't feel normal or comfortable to us, uh, the weird meter is what's inside of us that can kind of go to cynicism, a little bit of skepticism, and sometimes just, just kind of like it's weird, all right? Today is... In the church liturgy calendar, which we don't follow, but if, you're, if you grew up Catholic or Episcopalian or whatever else, you would understand that. But today is Pentecost Sunday. Um, Pentecost Sunday because it happens 50 days or so after Easter Sunday. So if you were to, like so one of these liturgical churches, this would be celebrated as Pentecost Sunday, Sunday. And when I noticed that a few weeks ago, I thought it was a natural break in what I've been teaching on. And so we're going to look at Pentecost today which is like weird meter to the max, if we're honest about it. And so I wanted to look at that, and I, as, I, as I thought about uh, Pentecost Sunday, and, and we'll say, if you don't know what Pentecost Sunday is, we'll, I'm going to read it. We're going to talk about it here in a little bit. Um, but I want you to do two things for me. I want you one, if you can, listen to the story as if you've never heard it before and see how it triggers any kind of weird meter reaction or what do we do with that. And um, secondly, I want you to invite the Holy Spirit to challenge your weird meter so the needle goes beyond where it's ever been in you before. I don't mean, I mean, not happen today. I'm just saying, I think, well, I don't think, I know. In my own experience, if God wants to give me a weird meter reading of maybe close to two, I'm okay with that. I'd rather live in the one-ish kind of zone. But please don't put me in the red zone because I want it, but I, you know, it may be uncomfortable. And why don't we want the red zone? Because it's out of our control. And we love, at least I do, we love control. So I'm going to ask you again just to listen to the stories if you've never heard it before, which I know some of you have heard many, many times. But secondly, um, allow God or give God permission over the next days and weeks to challenge your weird meter, which is closely related to your comfort zone. All right. So let me just give you the context here. Acts chapter 1. The book of Acts is some people call it the Acts of the Apostles. Some people refer to it as the Acts of the Holy Spirit. It was written by Luke. 
and Luke also wrote the Gospel of Luke, and the book of Acts is kind of that transitionary book that transitions from the life of Jesus into the rest of the New Testament, the, 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 the beginning of the church, and then it goes into the time of uh, the mission of the Gospel spreading and Paul and Peter and other things like that. The book of Acts opens, and we're about 40 days after the resurrection. So, what, that's six weeks. So, quite a bit has happened. The disciples of uh, Jesus has been resurrected, and we, we read from the scripture that Jesus hung out with the disciples and talked to them some more. And in Acts chapter 1, this is, again, this is probably 40 days or so after Jesus' resurrection. So, you can imagine a lot has happened. I mean, 41 days ago, all these disciples were quite distraught, depressed, and they were... As a whole, they felt like they were all failures because a lot of them abandoned Jesus. So Jesus is spending time with them. And then in Acts chapter 1, this is verse 4. This is, this is what the scripture says, and I'll just read this. One time when Jesus was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to, to free Israel and restore our kingdom? So the apostles still didn't get it. They thought Jesus was a political guy. That he was going to kind of kick out the Romans, restore the kingdom. Here Jesus had just talked about the Holy Spirit, and they're still kind of confused. So when you or I feel confused about what God's doing, at least we're in good company, right? Because the, the disciples still didn't get it. And then Jesus says, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they're not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth, all right? You will receive power. Just say that word, power. One, two, three, power. Jesus said, you're gonna have, we're going to have power. So then Jesus ascends. He's in the heavens. Um... The disciples, Jesus told them to wait, go to Jerusalem and wait. Now, if we were, if we, and I'm saying we, the American church, if we were Jesus, instead of telling the disciples to go wait, we would have said, go plan a big campaign, get a big building, have a big meeting, uh, get a big offering. But Jesus says, no, no, I want you to go wait. I want you to wait. So Acts chapter 2 opens and there's about 120 people, few less than what we have here, 120 people, in a room, in, in somewhere in Jerusalem, uh, most likely praying, hanging out, praying, hanging out. And this is what happens in Acts chapter 2, and I'll put that on, this, on the screen here. All right. On the day of Pentecost, let me stop here for a second, Pentecost, Penta, Pente, Pentagon, 5, Pentecost means 50, so the celebration of Pentecost was a typical Jewish festival that always happened 50 days after Passover. And it was, it was the time when you celebrated the end of the harvest and the goodness of God in providing for a good harvest. So Pentecost was a festival before the day of Pentecost, but that's just when it happened. All right. So there would have been all kinds of Jews in Jerusalem because Jews were expected to come to Jerusalem for those holy festivals. So Jews from every country that was close enough by to get there on Pentecost Day. So keep that in mind. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. 
Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. And I'm just going to stop there. If, if you know the rest of the story, if you don't know what happens is they, they, preach the, they, they start speaking the praises of God. Other people are like, what's going on? And other people hear the commotion. It was, it was a commotion. So it wasn't just 100, 120 people in a room having some kind of disruptive experience. It created a commotion. It was disruptive. And the people who were watching this happen responded by being perplexed, being confused, and some of them started mocking these people who had this really, really weird meter experience. Because there was noise, there was flames of fire, and you, you know, you step back and you think, well, maybe it's Luke just being symbolic here, but this clear sense is, no, he's not being symbolic. This is what happened. Um, I don't know if some of you watched the Bible on this, was it the Discovery Channel had the Bible series? History Channel, Discovery History. But, and I remember I was, uh, I watched it, it was like five Sundays, whatever, hang on, but a couple of my kids wanted to watch, so we, kind of, we watched it religiously. Um, but when it came to the Pentecost, I was really looking forward to the Pentecost. Because I thought, I wonder how they're going to portray that with all the, you know, Steven Spielbergish kind of special effects. And uh, because I thought, you know, I, I would have loved to have been there. Because I think if you're like me, you would love to have an experience of God and of the Holy Spirit that would be so definitive to change your life like it did these men and women. It changed their lives and the book of Acts says they turned Jerusalem upside down. So what, what's, what's up with this? What does that mean to us? And the phrase I'm going to look on is just simply the one phrase, this one, this next phrase. Go to the next slide there. When uh, Luke says that everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. Those 120 people not only turned Jerusalem upside down, they turned the entire known world and even the unknown world upside down because they had an experience with the Holy Spirit that changed them forever and they had power, the Bible says. Now, I, you might think, well, wait a minute, it's not really about an experience. But I would argue, yes, it is. Because if God is a God that, is, that can be known, then he's a God to be experienced. And no, we don't go running for the, the next experience we can find. But if God is a God that can be known, then shouldn't we hunger for experiences like this? Not, not live addictively for experiences like this. But again, if you're like me, perhaps you've figured out, let's just manage life well. Let's not expect to hope for anything like this. Let's just manage life well, hold on to my ticket to heaven, do good deeds, serve the poor, love my wife and kids. And that's all good. Of course it's good. But isn't there more? I don't care where you are in your life, spiritually. Some of you may have grown up in a charismatic church. Charismatic church, if you don't know this, kind of, it's, the, it's a church where this becomes the definitive part of their theology. And they're, they're always looking for the experiences. I'm not saying derogatorily. They're really into the Holy Spirit. Or maybe you grew up in a church that was referred to as evangelical or a Bible church where the, the, the line typically is, well, we're all filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't care which 
strain, stream, background, flavor you come from, I think we can all agree there's more of the Holy Spirit for every single one of us. There's not one of us who would say we are absolutely full of the Holy Spirit. Now, yes, the Holy Spirit is in each one of us when you become a Christian. The Holy Spirit resides in you. But if, if, you were, if I was absolutely full of the Holy Spirit, the way I treat my wife, my kids, and strangers, and aliens, and orphans, and the way I deal with my money, the way I understand God, I know it would be radically different. So yeah, we're filled with the Spirit, but it seems like the, 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 the teaching of Scripture is... Uh, there's a passage in Ephesians where it says, Be filled with the Spirit, and it has this sense of be continually filled with the Spirit. And I asked a, there's a, I had a professor in seminary, and somebody asked him, do you believe in a second filling of the Holy Spirit? Because there, there's, again, there's some churches that believe you're filled with the Spirit when you become a Christian, but then there's a second filling that you become kind of super Christian. And again, I'm not trying that derogatorily, that's just how some people look at it. And he said, yeah, I do believe in a second filling of the Holy Spirit. And a third, and a fourth, and a fifth, and a sixth. Because he said, we leak. He said, we all have a capacity for God, but we leak. I mean, I, when I was reading this passage, I thought, what if everyone in this room was full of the Holy Spirit? What if we could be, what could be said of Exodus Church, those people are in this room today, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit? Do you think it'd be life as usual for any of us? Do you think Bloomington would notice? I mean, there was a commotion that was happening. And it, didn't just dis it wasn't just a disruptive moment. It became a disruptive movement. Because these people were radically changed because of their experience, their encounter with the Holy Spirit. Think about this. Okay, this is the day of Pentecost. This is the, the black line here. All right? Prior to that, these people were not overly intelligent, not overly wealthy, not overly educated. Some of them, if not most of them, had really failed Jesus about 40 days ago. They made some stupid... And they still didn't get it. Even just a few days ago, they're telling Jesus, are you going to come now kick out the Romans? They still didn't get it. So they were not really that intelligent, didn't always get it, and sometimes failed Jesus. Anybody here in that category? I am. That's who they were. And then you get on the other side of the day of Pentecost... Read the rest of the book of Acts. Here's how these people, you could describe them. They were passionate. They were bold. They were excelled in generosity, excelled in forgiveness. They excelled in integrity. They excelled in love for one another and their community. They were different people. I want to be one of those kind of people. But the small bummer about the book, and I say that tongue-in-cheek, is you know what also happened after that? Persecution. I mean, people lost their heads because they followed Jesus. They wouldn't, they wouldn't say they don't. Paul was whipped. He was beaten. The disciples were whipped and they were beaten just because they were told, don't talk about Jesus anymore. And I don't think any of us have a death wish or some kind of a... I want to get beaten for Jesus' wish. But isn't it interesting that 
if you want more, if I want more of the Holy Spirit, and again, let's at least agree all of us could say there's more of the Holy Spirit that to be had, and let's at least understand that maybe deep down inside of us all of us have a hunger for more. We want more of God than what we experience. But in saying so, of course we want more boldness, more forgiveness, more integrity, more passion, more love for people. Yeah, if I had a sign-up, she would all sign up for that. We'd be foolish if we didn't sign up for that. Oh, and by the way, whenever the Holy Spirit becomes to be active in the lives of people, there's an enemy that doesn't like that, and you will also have problems, suffering, and persecution. It's kind of like, can I have this, but can I not have that? And I wonder, I wonder, if some of our, and I wonder this about me, if some of our not having all of this is because really deep down inside, we like our comfort. We like our lives. For the most part, many of us here would say, we like our lives. I'm comfortable. Yeah, we have issues. My marriage could be better. My kids could behave better. I wish I had more money. But, but for the most part, most of us like the level of comfort we have. And we've drawn a circle. I'll use this circle right here in the middle. We've drawn a circle around our lives, and it kind of works. And this is what we would call our comfort zone. Actually, let's go to the bigger circle. I feel too confined here. I'm on a little bit more of a comfort zone. All right, the big circle. All right, this is my comfort zone. That's where I live. That's how I think about my money, my marriage, my church, my neighbors. Um, my kids, whatever. And it kind of works, and yeah, I wish sometimes things would cooperate and God would, I wish God would come into my comfort zone and kind of rearrange things for me. But you know what's interesting is usually God doesn't want to come into our comfort zone. He asks us to go outside of ours because here's my comfort zone. Everywhere else is where God seems to be at work in radical ways. When you read scripture, when you read about men and women in the Old Testament and definitely with Pentecost, Jesus didn't come into the Holy Spirit didn't come into their comfort zone and make life work for them. They were propelled outside of their comfort zone because that's where God knew and that's where he could have their full attention, full devotion, and they had to be stretched. Because how many of us limit God's work in our lives based on the boundaries of what we've placed around him? Some of us if we were at Pentecost, let's be honest, some of us may have been the ones, if we weren't one of the 120, we may have been some of the ones that been like, yeah, I'm not sure what's going on there. I'm not sure if I want, because they were being made fun of. They were doing things that was outside of their control. And it's like, okay, do I want that? I'll be honest, a lot of times what keeps me from doing what I think God may want me to do is I don't want my reputation to suffer. I don't want my pride to suffer. I don't want to do something that may make me look silly in the eyes of even my wife and kids. There's times where I thought, I don't know what I... I mean, I have, I have, uh, I have four brothers. And uh, we all grew up in a church where it was... And we grew up in a family that was pretty non-expressive emotionally and, relation, and uh, relationally. I mean, I love them. They're great. But we don't hug. You know, we just don't do that. Um, I wish we did more of it. But when I've been around or in church with or my brothers have been here, there's something that means that almost is a little less expressive in terms of maybe raising my hands when we worship or clapping. And that's not a measure of spirituality, but it's because I don't know what they're going to think about me if I'm doing that. 
I do that here, but if somebody who knows me from another world sees me do that here, what might they think of me? Anybody else relate to that? Maybe, kind of, sort of. I mean, it's, it's the whole question of what, what are people going to think of me, whether it's family, friends, people who are, what do people think of me if I actually do what I think God asked me to do? And I wonder if maybe God, well, not maybe, I wonder if maybe it's not. I believe God does not, will not do work in me if he knows I've already got those boundary stones in place and I'm asking him to work in my comfort boundaries. And at what point do you say to God, God, this is where I have my life lived, and I, the weird meter, I love the one or two setting because I feel a little bit spiritual. But, okay, God, if you want to go to the three weird meter, if you want me to step out and do something, and not, you know, it's not going to have you bark like a dog or, you know, that kind but he's going to have you, God may ask you to do something that's going to, it's going to challenge your pride. It's going to challenge your sense of propriety what's proper and what's right, and even what's religiously correct. It seems like a lot of the, the, a lot of the opposition of the, the, the followers of Jesus had in the book of Acts were not from the non-Christian world, it was from their fellow Jews, fellow religious people. Because sometimes that's where the opposition comes from. So, you know, he says everyone was f present was filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what Luke says in, in and again, they turned the world upside down. And it seemed as if, from then on out, these men and women, they didn't care anymore what people thought about them. I'd love to be in that place in life. They didn't care. This blows me away when it's like, they, there was a couple, a couple of chapters later, they're brought in, some of the disciples are brought into the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees, and they're, and they're, and they're told, do not teach in the name of Jesus anymore. They healed a man in the name of Jesus. You'll notice the, the, the law, the religious leaders were not upset they healed somebody. They were upset they healed them in the name of Jesus. They said, don't heal in his name again. Don't do anything in his name again. Because they, they were the ones that were, the ones who were saying, yeah, let's crucify him. They, that was those guys were. So they were feeling guilty. Don't do it anymore in, in the name of Jesus. Oh, and by the way, before you leave, we're going to flog you, just to make that point. I mean, you read the book of Acts, and sometimes, at least I do, you kind of skip over those words like flogging and beating and beheading, because that's like, oh, I don't want that. We love the passion, the joy, and the experience. So they're flogged, and then the next passage says, but the very next day, they went back out to the court and did the same thing they did before. I was like, Wow. That is passion, and that is fearlessness, and they have died to the fear of other people. Sign me up for that. But don't sign me up for that, because I don't want that. I mean, right, but all of us want to be the kind of person who no longer is driven or controlled by the response and reaction of other people. And those are the kind of people that I think God has absolute trust in, and he will do great things through people who are willing to die to their fear of how other people perceive them. Because the disciples seemed like something radically changed. Something's new and different. There's one of my favorite authors is the guy, or not favorite authors, I have like, I have like a hundred favorite authors. So then I have none, of course. But there's an author I really like, his name is E.M. Bounds. Um, he was a pastor in the 1850s. He was actually a chaplain 
for the South in the Civil War, because he's from one of the southern states. But he wrote a number of books on prayer. But one of his quotes, which is my, one of my favorite quotes, is, and this is in 1850. This is a pastor writing in 1850. What the church needs today is not new methods, new techniques, or new approaches. What the church needs today is men and women whom the Holy Spirit can use. Because the Holy Spirit does not anoint plans, techniques, songs, PowerPoint slides, you know, cool ways of doing church. The Holy Spirit doesn't anoint those things. The Holy Spirit anoints people, men and women, girls and boys, who have given themselves over to him. So what he said 160 years ago is still so, is so true today. Yeah, we, there are, yeah, should we try new things? Do we do new songs? You know, but do we try, you know, do we use PowerPoint? Do we use technology? Yeah, of course we use those things. But is that going to make us the church every single one of us hungers and longs for? No. What's going to make us the church we long for is when we individually and corporately become the kind of people who have given ourselves over to the Holy Spirit. Because it's, it's his church, not ours. So you, you read about Pentecost Sunday, and you think, what would it be like to be a church of people who have given ourselves over to the Holy Spirit? You know, my wife was talking to a friend of hers this week, not, not from this church, but somebody who's been involved in ministry over the last number of years. I don't know, five years, ten years, something like that. And this person was telling my wife, I don't, I I don't want to work in ministry or church for a while. Because I'm so tired of hearing, well, if we played faster songs or slower songs or had this or this or this or that or this or this or that, then we'd be the church to go to. Or if we did this and had this, and again, I'm not saying those things, those things matter to some degree. But we've tended to, and I, you know, as a pastor and talking to other pastors in other churches, we tend to, we tend to gravitate toward the things we can control. And let's see if we can, we've got to get a sense of momentum, we have to do this. It's like, and then you read, you read the New Testament and you think if they came back and saw the American church functioning, they might be like, what are you guys doing? It didn't seem like they had much arguments about fast songs, slow songs, drums, PowerPoint, length of service, I, you know. Those are, those are secondary things. What was primary was these people were filled with the Holy Spirit. You, you, you get 120 people filled with the Holy Spirit, I don't care if we're singing in Latin with an organ. God would do great things to a church like this. And we're not going to try that next week, but, you know. Seriously. <laughs> Music style has nothing to do with it. Teaching style has nothing to do with it. Length of sermon has nothing to do with it. PowerPoint slides have nothing to do with it. Where you meet it, so if it's a gymnasium or a cathedral, have nothing to do with whether it's the kind of church that God can use. What it's all about is the people in the church. And it's the kind of people that God wants to use. And that's the question. Now, last thing I'll say, and the obstacle, because I think there's an obstacle, I know there's an obstacle. Um, every one of us wants that this kind of life, passion, integrity, forgiveness. We want to see signs and wonders. What happens in the book of Acts, people are healed. We want that. 
But there's generally two things in the way. One is we've got to come to grips with our fear of man, fear of the opinions of others. Be honest with that about God and ask him to break that in you. And if you ask him to, he will, but he will break that in you by probably putting you in a situation where you have to look silly, foolish, or damage your pride. So the fear of other people. But the second, the second block, huge block, is just sin in our lives that we've learned to tolerate. In uh, Second Chronicles 7, the Old Testament passage after they had dedicated the temple, one of the things that God says to Solomon is, he says, you know, I will always bless your, these people. I always, you know, any prayers that come from this place, my temple, I will be attentive to and I'll listen to. But then God says, but if there's sin, if there's other things, then I won't. And then he says the passage, which some of you know, he says, but if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, Then I'll hear from heaven. I mean, how many of us are fiddling around with stupid, trite things that are sins, but we think, well, I have to have that. And then we're asking God to bless us. It's like, come on. Is God going to do that? Of course not. So whether whether it's us asking God to break us of the fear of other people, or whether you just simply need to repent and break away from what you think is giving you life when you know deep down it's going to destroy you and you're asking God to bless you he won't bless you as long as you hold on to that he won't he won't bless the church as long as and I'm not I don't have a list of things for people to deal with but I, just, I know if you're like me and you're human there's always things that come to mind like yeah maybe God wants me to stop doing that well there's some things you know God wants you to stop doing it's clear you don't need to pray about those things. It's clear. Um, I'll finish with this. There's a... When I, was in, when I was growing up in the church I grew up in, and it was funny because it was a church that really... It kind of strikes me as funny when I think about this. It was a church that taught that, that the dramatic things of the Holy Spirit, they don't happen anymore. That was kind of then. The book of Acts is kind of a nice story. It's a nice Steven Spielberg movie, but those things aren't repeated now. We just need to believe it did happen and kind of go on with life. So the Holy Spirit wasn't really talked about much. Um, And if it was, it was a theological thing, but it wasn't a reality. But yet I was in this youth teen group, and uh, we had these youth singing competitions. And, And I was in this... We were in this one group, and we won national champions, okay? Um, I don't have a trophy anywhere, and it doesn't really mean anything. But one of the songs we sang was called Come Holy Spirit. Now, I think how ironic it was that I went to a church that really didn't believe much the Holy Spirit would do anything today, but we sang a song inviting the Holy Spirit to come. And, and, the, and, the word, and I, in the last couple of weeks, the words have come to my mind like I can't stop singing it in my head. I can't stop hearing it. I, mean, I sing it when I ride my bike. I sing it when I walk. I sing it when I'm in my car. And I'm, uh, I, sing, I sing it the other night at the grocery store. And I'm just like, I can't get this out of my head. You know those kind of things? I kind of wonder if it's like God, I would say, if you shake the extra sketch and it doesn't go away, maybe God's trying to get your attention. But the song simply, the chorus is simply, uh, the verse goes like this, and in the chorus I'll sing, but it's like, um, if I can remember it, it's like, the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. He came in mighty fullness then. 
His witness through believers won the lost, and multitudes were born again. The early Christians scattered all the earth. They preached the gospel fearlessly. This next verse. This, this next part is hard to sing for me because it's like, though some were martyred into lions hurled, they marched along in victory. And I'm thinking, I sang that when I was 15. I had no idea what I was talking about. It's like, no, nobody was. And then the chorus is, it's like, a, Come Holy Spirit, dark is the hour. We need your filling, your love and your mighty power. Move now among us. Stir us, we pray. Come, Holy Spirit, revive the church today. And when I've been singing that song, I've been singing, God, revive the pastor today. Not just the church, revive the pastor. <laughs> the only play, I was trying to find this song on YouTube all week. I wanted it on my, I wanted it on, I was trying to, it was on MP3. I found it. It's a Korean choir singing that song in Korean in a cathedral in Rome. All right? <laughs> So all week in my car, I've been listening at high volume, a Korean choir sing that song I just sang in Korean. I have no idea what they're saying, but it brings me to tears every time I listen to it. Because I thought, what, what would it be like if we lived our lives simply with the prayer for the week being, come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit, into my marriage, into my family, into my, into my relationship with my neighbors, into this church, come Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Isaiah 64, we read at the start of the service, O oh God, that you would burst forth from the heavens. Are you willing to pray that God would burst forth in your life? Because that sounds disruptive. But I think most of you here would love to be disrupted in those kind of ways. So let me pray, and then we'll take communion. Jesus, forgive us for the times where we've uh, relegated the Holy Spirit to a theological category and not the person that he is. And Holy Spirit, we, um, would you speak to us? Would you, as we said from Isaiah, would you burst forth into our lives this week? Would you bring about um, discomfort? Would you disrupt us? Would you shake us? But in doing so, we say that because we know that on the other side is joy, passion, integrity, fullness. It's the fullness of life with God that you've promised us. So, God, we, would, you, would you plant it inside of us just a hunger again for more of the Holy Spirit? We don't want to be people who just fine-tune the Christian lifestyle. We want to be people, um, we do want to see this community turned upside down because we want to see the redeeming, forgiving, loving power of Jesus proclaimed in us and through us. And that's the kind of people we want to be. And we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. We finish every Sunday with communion and we do that, again, simply because it's, it's centered around Jesus. Every gospel, every message, every sermon in the book of Acts.